Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Hey, everybody. My name's Britt. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Sunridge. I want to give a big shout-out to everybody for whom Sunridge is home. We miss you guys, those of you that still can't make it to our one big outdoor service. For whatever reason, we're so grateful that you check us out online or listen uh, to the podcast. If you're new uh, to the Valley or you're looking at churches or exploring even faith, we just want you to know that Sunders is a safe place for you to do that. And uh, besides our pre-recorded version of this message, we also teach the same message on Sunday morning right here on our campus at 1030. So uh, big shout out to all of you. We're uh, back to Matthew's Gospel, the Sermon on the Mount today. Uh, we had a great Christmas and a great Christmas Eve service Um but we're right back in the groove here with what Jesus had to say in this quintessential teaching that uh, so much of the New Testament is based on. Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Uh, Years ago, I uh, left State College and went to Bible College. And uh, at the time, Uh, I did what I thought was a really good Ed Sullivan impression. Now, if you don't know who Ed Sullivan is, if I'm just like dating myself right now, uh, just Google it if you're ever interested, but it was a great variety show, and I did a pretty good Ed Sullivan. Well, I was walking on the campus one day, and uh, I encountered a student, and we got to talking, and somehow I broke out into my Ed Sullivan impression, and... uh, he remarked to me, like, hey, Trotter does that impression. And, you know, it's like, did you learn it from him? Now, you, you may not know who Trotter is. That's one of my good buddies. We became Christians together. We did a lot of bad things together. And we grew together in our faith. And, um, in fact, many of you are going to get to meet him in March. He's going to come out and speak for us. And uh, you can corroborate this story with him. But uh, he and I have always gone back and forth about who really did the best and the first Ed Sullivan impression. And so I remember walking away from that conversation with a student and thinking, man, Trot stole my, my stuff. You know, it's like I've been doing this and now he's getting the credit for it. And uh, I remember feeling really bummed about that. Now, never mind that uh, at this point, I can't remember if I actually did do it first. And the truth is, I actually did um, a Gabriel Kaplan 
Ed Sullivan. So I'd learned it from someone else, a comedian of the day. All I'm saying is that sometimes uh, we just want credit for what we do. Um, and in verse, in chapter six, verse one, that's kind of the theme for this next section that Jesus is going to be teaching on, where he's warning about our tendency to do the right thing for the wrong reason. I want to read it again. Verse one, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward of your father in heaven. So the first thing Jesus says is to be careful. Now, I know that we say that all the time. Sometimes we don't even really mean it. Be careful is usually the last thing we say before our kids leave the house. Be drive careful. Be careful. Uh, And, you know, the jury's out whether anybody is actually even listening to us when we say that, even if we really mean it. But what about when Jesus says, be careful? Uh, The message version of the Bible says to be especially careful. You know, uh, the be careful here that Jesus is referring to, as we will see, is not about be careful not to fall into sin or to be fooled by false teaching. That is later. But here he's talking about be careful about the good things that we do, the good works. What is it that they're to be careful about? He says, be careful about practicing your righteousness, to do rightness, to do good things. Be careful when you're doing these good things. And that phrase is an all-encompassing phrase or word that is describing all three of the things that Jesus is going to be talking about. He's wrapping be careful around prayer and fasting and here giving and specifically giving to the poor. Verse 2 Uh, is really specifically talking about giving to the needy. And we'll unpack that in just a minute. And if you have a King James version of the Bible, it says almsgiving. It reminds me of an old Dickens book, you know, uh, alms for the poor. Alms are offerings or gifts to the poor of our culture. And no one would doubt the goodness of doing something like this. So what warning could Jesus possibly be giving about doing something so good like giving to the poor. He says, be careful not to practice practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, there's a couple of ways to misread what Jesus has just said here. One, we could misread it to say, don't give at all. And over the years, I have to be honest in saying that I have encountered Christians who are above giving. They're so spiritual that they don't give. And yet what Jesus is actually doing here, you can see is he is assuming that as followers of Jesus, you give. In verse two, he says, so when you give to the needy, Jesus is saying, you know, that thing, those things that you do that are good, that are regular part of your worship and your spiritual practices like serving and compassion and belief and prayer and fasting and giving. It's part of being someone who follows God. And so I just want to take a second here and just say thank you to all of our givers here, people that support us financially. It's such a blessing to know that we have people that are in it 
with us and you care about the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. And for those of you that, for whatever reason, you haven't been prompted yet or you haven't taken that step to give, I would encourage you to start and start just somewhere. It doesn't have to be big. And it's really easy to do that these days uh, through push pay and, and our app that we have at Sunridge. Another misread uh, that you could possibly come up with here is to never give in front of others. But that can't be what he's saying at all because just previous to this, Jesus talked about letting your light shine so that others may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And certainly many of us learn generosity. It doesn't come to us naturally. And Jesus in his ministry calls attention to a widow who gives everything that she, that she had without condemning the practice. Um, believers, Hebrews, even at this time, worshiped publicly. They celebrated feasts and giving, as we'll see, is public. It's a case of really putting the period too soon in the sentence. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others Sometimes we put the period there, but the, the sentence continues to be seen by them. So he's not saying never do this where people can see. If, you know, if I was to give to a homeless person, do I have to say, hey, meet me around the corner? You know, you can see how ridiculous it could be. Someone asked me for prayer and say, well, let's escape. Let's run up to my office so no one can see. This is about motive. It's about intent and heart, and it frames another mini section in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, sermons have points, and then the points have many points, and Jesus follows that same teaching model. He's talking here about things that we do to be seen, giving specifically here. And in it, in these teachings, in this section, he reveals how motive can totally mess everything up. If our motive is wrong, then the whole thing can end up wrong. And how following Jesus can morph into religion. And I use that, that, that word in a negative sense. Because when we, when we give ourselves to religion, we can lose our way. We end up, religion causes us to go through the motions, to to religious activities and rituals, to do good things, but they end up being all kind of off. And that's the reason for the warning that comes from Jesus here. So if Jesus is warning us about something, we should give our attention to it. We should give our attention to how the things that we do with good that are good things can actually ruin our faith and take us to a place that is not good and is not a place where we can flourish and thrive. So what is Jesus saying here? Uh, so a little context. First of all, in your notes, for a first century Jew, life centered around the synagogue. Their daily life was based on what was happening at synagogue. They would go there every day, and it was the center of their community. Number two, their common spiritual practices included giving, prayer, and fasting. That's why Jesus is talking about them. 
And you know, every generation, every culture has its spiritual disciplines and practices, things that are part of the way that we experience God and how we experience or express devotion to God. And for them, giving, prayer, and fasting was all part of that experience. Today, we have common practices, but you know, just think about the typical Western church service, what we do, we sing worship songs and there's usually prayer and we teach the Bible and there may be the passing of an offering uh, basket for people to give. Other practices include reading the Bible or praying privately and in public, going to church, as I already mentioned, weekly or, and I say that with two E's, not an E-A, um, just even holding certain doctrinal positions, our worship style, they're all part of our spiritual experience and practices. And for them, this is the way they followed God. Now also in your notes, there was no public assistance at this time. So charitable giving was truly essential. This is how they took care of their own. And even this practice continues into the first century church in Acts 5 where uh, the, the Greek widows are concerned that they're not getting well taken care of because the church was doing this for them. It was a practice that they carried over from their traditions as uh, Christian Jews. And here Jesus is actually specifically addressing giving to the poor, and they did give. At this time, there was even a, a rabbinic prohibition for people that they could not give above 20% of their income to the poor because it would impoverish them. And for them to have a rule, obviously, this was actually happening. And so Jesus is tapping into this high value that people have to care for their own and their heart that is in it for other people. But even this good, this good thing could be corrupted. If something this good, taking care of poor, of the poor, can be corrupted, what else could be? I'm going to bring that forward as we wrap up at the end of this message, but I'm sure that you're already making connections and you will make more as we go. What did Jesus have to say about giving in this regard. Number one, he says, don't be a hypocrite who gives to impress others. I mean, it's just so obvious. In verse two, he says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Let's talk about trumpets and parades in the streets, were they actually doing this? Were they actually playing trumpets and creating a big brouhaha as they walked into the synagogue to give? Possibly, but not very likely because people would see through that. I think that Jesus here is using hyperbole or it's a play on words about giving noisily. The, the offering uh, was collected at that time in, in a large uh, chest, or in some cases, a ram's horn, a thing that you would blow like a trumpet. And people were dropping their co coins in noisily. This is not a time when they had push pay or checks. They had coins for money and they would give it noisily and drop it in or throw it in. So the cha-ching 
would echo throughout synagogue, which is funny to me because uh, when I was serving as a high school pastor in Huntington Beach, my pastor at the time, uh, Dr. Melton, Dr. Bruce Melton, used to encourage the church to give a silent offering. Uh, we had these uh, metal pans with, you know, some felt in the bottom of them, and they would go through. And a silent offering meant you weren't dropping coins in, you were dropping cash in. It's just like a Baptist joke. Sorry. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about hypocrites, too. Jesus says that giving in this noisy, I have to have attention, please honor me and praise me, is like a hypocrite. You know, Jesus uses that word, hypocrite, 17 times in the Gospels, but it isn't always used pejoratively like we would think of someone who is a hypocritical religious leader at this time. It simply describes an actor who wears a mask and they act out on stage. Some scholars even believe that Jesus is the first to use this word in this kind of negative way because hypocrite just meant someone who wore a mask. And it's, it's likely that Jesus was very familiar with theater and acting, and so he draws on this common experience that people of his day have to like tie this thought together. Just a few miles from where Jesus grew up is the city of Sephoris, a Roman city that had a large theater at that time. It's one of the largest in that region. We're going to put a picture up so that you can see it. It's from that uh, wonderful place called Wikipedia. Wikipedia. And uh, so you see that on the screen and you can see that that's a very large theater for that time. And it would be common for people to go there. And, you know, we know that Jesus was a carpenter and there wasn't much wood around at that time. And this phrase, even the, the word that's used for carpenter is, uh, could be even more of a general term, more like you're just a tradesperson in construction. And it could be very likely that Jesus was actually not just a carpenter with wood, but a stone mason. And uh, it's possible follow with me here, that he and his father actually worked on this theater, which was built during his day. And doesn't that just kind of expand the way you see this text? And that may explain why Jesus commonly uses this word hypocrite and uses the imagery. Uh, that was a free nugget, by the way, a little rabbit trail for you guys. Um, either way, Jesus is familiar with theater and acting and wearing a mask in a role that you play to depict the person that you are, not what you aren't, which is important. The, the word is used today like that and in the New Testament somewhat as well, but that's not what Jesus is doing here. This role that you play as a hypocrite was the role that you played in front of people. It's the point. You were there to be seen by them and to be honored and to receive applause for the role that you're playing. So then, hypocrisy in giving could really mean two things. One, it could just be how we typically think of it. You're a faker, someone who is, declares their commitment to Jesus, but doesn't have generosity, uh, like Ananias and Sapphira in uh, the book of Acts. They faked 
their generosity. And every generation certainly has been cursed by this type of hypocrisy. And we're all weary of those who talk a big game, but have very little in their life to show for it. But the other way that Jesus could be applying this hypocrisy in giving is to say, yes, I am committed. I am truly committed. I give, I give generously. And in, as we've said, you know, in some cases, they were tempted to give over 20% of their income. But the kicker there is that they want people to know about it. They want to be on stage with the mask of generous person. It is the part that they are playing. Do you see the difference? Jesus could be saying either one. It's, I feel like he's likely saying that they're authentically giving. But either way, he's saying, don't be that. So be careful. Second thing that Jesus says about giving here is not just to not give in such a way that you're impressing others, but he's also saying don't give to impress yourself. You know, today we talk a lot about emotional intelligence and to be self-aware, like when I'm talking too much or coming on too strong or complaining too much, we're supposed to be aware of when we're doing that. We are to pay attention to how people are reading us and how our communication is coming across. But essentially here, Jesus is saying we should be the total opposite of that when it comes to our good deeds. In particular here, giving. Note what he says in verse 3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What is this? What does it mean that your left hand could not know what the other one is doing? Basically, I think that he's saying that our good deeds should become natural deeds. It should be unnoticed by ourselves. Our spiritual acts then don't have to be something that we're overly concentrated on or we have to call attention to. It's like riding a bike. I was just uh, last week during the Christmas holiday uh, teaching or assisting my grandkids with riding their new bikes. And my little uh, Libby uh, has the one with the training wheels on it. And, you know, it for her to pedal, I, you know, basically I push her on the bike and uh, with a lot of lower back pain uh, these days. But trying to get her to just pedal was like difficult and she kept putting on the brakes. And it's like, so her left foot and right foot were very conscious of what each other was doing. She was having to concentrate so hard on that. But you know, after you learn to ride a bike, it just becomes second nature. Or think about when you learned how to throw a ball. You know, at first there was all this concentration about when you would step and trying to coordinate it all, but now you just pick up a ball and you throw it. And when you were first learning to drive, you're, you're driving around and it's like everything seems so difficult. There's so much going on at once. And just to make a lane change from like signaling, check, check, you know, uh, and then move over, 
it's, and now you just do it second nature. The truth is many of us should pay more attention to how we drive, right? But uh, now most of us can, can drive and talk on our cell phone through uh, Bluetooth. Uh, we can eat, we can sing to music. Some of us even text, but shame on us for doing that, right? In other words, the Jesus-y things that we do should just be part of our everyday life. And when it comes to the good things we do, we should be self-forgetful. I think that's what Dallas Willard was getting at in The Divine Conspiracy when he said, their deeds are in secret, no matter who is watching, or they they are absorbed in the love of God and of those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. So instead of making ourselves the center of the story and constantly reminding people or ourselves about our good deeds, you know, instead of making every good deed and conversation about it, having kind of a subscript, uh, you know, I did this and, you know, it has this whole flavor of like, you know, aren't I awesome for having done this? Or the belief that I hold on this makes me superior to you. Or I do this or I don't do that, which all ultimately says I'm pretty impressed with myself. And I'm hoping that you're impressed with me as well. You know, to be self-righteous is to be cognizant of our own righteousness. Isn't that what it means to be self-righteous? to look at ourselves and to congratulate ourselves, we're focused on our own deeds. And when we start to congratulate ourselves for being so righteous, it also causes us to look down on others. But it starts with us being impressed with ourselves. I think that's what Martin Luther was getting at when he said our righteousness can be more dangerous than our sin. Jesus here is saying, be completely not self-righteous, not self-congratulatory, to be unimpressed with ourselves or to seek to impress others or to be impressed with ourselves. It can corrupt righteous practices. It can become toxic. So be careful, Jesus said. And you know, this isn't just theory, right? It isn't just a uh, teaching for some people who had some problems 2,000 years ago. I mean, if Jesus is saying it and the Holy Spirit chose to record it for us in Matthew's gospel, that that Jesus is speaking to, in some cases, the, the most religious and devoted people of his day, don't we think that some of this may apply to us? Is there anyone here that's ever felt that twinge of not getting the recognition that you deserve for your good deeds? I'm talking to myself here. Or maybe felt a little bit superior to someone else when we did get the pat on the back. What's the antidote for that? None of us want to be that way. What's the way out? Well, let's read Jesus' words again, and I think it'll just jump off the page to us. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by others, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you see it? Do you see it just jumping off the page? Last point, seek God's approval more than anything and be assured he sees and will reward you. That's the antidote. Now, this is not criticism of our human need for affirmation by other people. We all need it, and we all should give it more often than we do. Congratulate and affirm your kids and your grandkids because you know that everything they do, they're saying, watch this, and they're looking at us when they do it. In our uh, employee processes, we use a program called uh, 15-5, and it's our way of reporting uh, what, what our goals are and how uh, our status in accomplishing those. And in that program, there's an ability to give high fives. That is for us across the organization to say, hey, I saw you do that high five. We all need more of that. But... Jesus does tell us that if our motive in the end is to get awarded by others or from ourselves, then he says, you've gotten what you wanted and you don't need anything else because that is the thing that you were seeking. But I can tell you that it won't satisfy. And so Jesus reminds them, and he reminds us that, number one, we, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. We're all in the race together, right? And while we're running, our eyes are on Jesus. And then number two, Jesus assures us that God sees He sees what is done even in secret. And we have this assurance that he will reward you. How much is it worth to have this guarantee, this assurance from Jesus that God sees? He sees what we do and he will reward us. Essentially, Jesus says or asks us to ask the question, Where, who am I looking at? And who is looking back at me? When my older girls um, decided they wanted to play soccer, a sport that I know nothing about, I've been either blessed or cursed with uh, kids that all wanted to pursue sports that I knew nothing about so I could never be accused of overcoaching them or being that parent. Although I have to admit, I did uh, coach them in things that I had no idea what I was talking about. They can confirm that for you if you talk to them. But I remember when they were saying they wanted to play soccer, all their friends were playing, and um, Sydney and I were talking about, it's like, how how are we going to get into soccer? It was never a sport that we knew anything about, but our kids are going to be playing, and 
you know, we even had conversations like we, we don't even know if we'll make every one of your games. I mean, like this sounds horrible as a parent, but that's that's what we said. And yet from the very first game, um, Cindy and I were those parent fans that ran up and down the sidelines cheering our kids and their team on. Sometimes uh, we, uh, we weren't very dignified even in the way that we did that. I can guarantee you that from day one and through their entire soccer career or my younger daughter in her cheer career, uh, we were thrilled to watch them and our eyes were constantly on them. And I kind of get the picture that it's like, that's how God sees you and I. It's like, you know, when we watched our kids, it was almost like no one else was playing. We were so focused on them. And yet, for many of us today, they're struggling uh, with the way our lives are right now, so disrupted, and we feel abandoned by our culture as Christians, and we're fearful. Some of us are angry, and we feel purposeless, and we feel like the things, the good things that we're doing are unrewarded often by culture, sometimes by our friends, and even sometimes unrewarded by our church. I think once we grasp a hold of this idea, this thing that Jesus is saying, that we don't need the praise or the honor of others, We don't need the constant attention and we don't need to be impressed by ourselves because we have this guarantee that God sees. Once we grab a hold of that, it changes our perspective on the things that we do. And it it makes us realize that our motive of doing good things, whether it's giving or prayer or fasting, or whatever we might be doing for the sake of Jesus, even if no one sees, God sees, and he will reward us. So whatever it is that you plan to do, whatever it is that you will do today for the sake of Jesus or in Jesus's name, I would say to you, through the words of Jesus, look to him. Because I think he's running up and down the sidelines, cheering you on. Let me pray. God, we want to recalibrate ourselves. And I'm speaking from my own heart right now, Lord, that we, that just the full realization that you are watching. And that even in those times when something that has been done with good intent or sacrifice costly to us or for the benefit of others. And yet no one seems to notice or maybe it's even completely unappreciated. We stand on this confident word of Jesus that you see and that you will reward us. I pray that that truth would sink in deeply 
to our hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. Hey, Sunridge guests, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon at our one big service. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and be assured that he will reward you. God bless you. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.